0: Welcome to the mini-break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Sunday, January 2nd. On today's show, we preview the first ATP event of the 2022 season, talking all things ATP Cup with returning champion to our Crack Rackets podcast, Gil Gross. Of course, we talk about the most intriguing players entering the event. We offer our predictions for who we think will take home the title and so much more. It is a fantastic podcast that I know all of you listeners are going to enjoy. Of course, I apologize in advance for some of the horrendous candy related takes Gil offers at the end of the show. I promise one of my goals for 2022 to get him better acquainted to the many delicious desserts out there, but of course, that's some fun we have at the end, and as always, whenever we have Gil on the show, plenty of laughs and insight shares. I know all of you listeners are going to enjoy today's episodes. Of course, before we get to it, I have to remind all of you that the reason we're able to do this day in, day out here at Crack Rackets is because of the support we get from ...from all of you because of the support we get from our Crack Rackets Patreon family... ...and of course because of the support we get... From our friends over at Tennis Point, you all know the deal. Tennis-point.com right now for all of the latest and greatest equipment on the tennis market. Of course, you're not going to find better prices either. And if you use our promo code CR15, not only will you let them know we sent you there, you'll get 15% off your order free. Two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. That's Tennis-point, symbol, not the spelling, Tennis-point. Point.com. the promo code is cr15 with all of that said let's get to today's episode talking all things ATP Cup with the one and only Gil Gross Joining us on the podcast once again today is a returning champion here to our Crack Racket Shows. Of course, you probably know him best as the host of Monday Match Analysis, host of 3A Tennis Show. You'll recognize these dulcet tones from your tennis channel programming. Of course, he's the man who makes me feel like a proud brother. It is our friend Gil Gross. Gil, Lishanatova, happy new year. Welcome back to the show, my friend. How are you doing today?
1: Thanks, Krusky. I'm great. Happy New Year. I'm glad that that you're coming to me from a uh, 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 sunny coffin in Florida. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I always like to to bring a a prop. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not true. I never bring a prop. These are my. This is my stand. My uh, rosters. You see this? <laughs> yeah, I
0: like it. I like my it. rosters. You didn't just cross off France already? You're like, don't need this one.
1: They can stay. I've crossed off Chile, but... (laughs)
0: Oh, that's funny, and by the way, I have never seen an uglier mascot than the Orangemen in your background. They should not be putting on a face on a piece of fruit, um, but with that said, it is a pleasure to have you back, my friend, on the show, and obviously the reason I wanted to talk to you today beyond just getting a chance to shoot the shit, talk some tennis, is that you're on the call for the midnight shift of the ATP Cup. Of course, all of us so excited to have professional tennis back in our lives. crazy to think, but the professional action. Rocking and rolling once again, we've got many of the best players descending down to Australia for this opening event of the ATP season. Of course, before we get to that, I think we have to do three minutes on this segment. It's actually in the contract with the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. If you are a show on their network, you're obliged to start with this in the A Block. Tell me why Novak Djokovic hitting with his kids is indicative of his Australian Open intentions, right? Give me the latest and greatest scoop. Is Novak Djokovic playing? We're all wondering. We've looked at the B-rolled Reddit feed you find somewhere in Serbia. You know, the dad talked to the janitor who talked to the hitting coach who talked to the hitting partner who accidentally saw Novak Djokovic at the hitting club. How are you feeling about Djokovic's 2022 Australian Open intentions?
1: Uh, Dusan Lajovic's friend's cousin told me that <laughs> Novak is playing with the Australian Open tennis balls. Yeah. What does that mean? Probably nothing. No, I don't. I don't know. I'm so with you. I, I've seen you on Twitter, basically mocking this entire saga. And like, to me, I think there's only two two paths that I can really get behind and connect with. Either you're just finding this amusing because it is pretty funny. Yeah. And uh, I keep envisioning like Novak like landing on like a helicopter pad on top of Rod Laver <laughs> Arena, and like that's how we'll find out, which would be pretty awesome. I gotta say, like that'd be really funny. Um, either you find it funny or you're just like kind of ignoring it and waiting. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I I can't imagine being in any other spot. Like to try to be play Mr. Detective here is not fun and (laughs) pointless and uh i almost think that uh, and i don't know but like if novak is keeping this to himself right now like if he's bothering people by this he's probably glad like that's probably the point uh obviously he's resentful that this whole vaccination thing has to be made public i mean he he has said that explicitly And if he's resentful that it has to be made public and it's bothering people that he's keeping it close to the chest, he's probably glad about it.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, it's a HIPAA violation, right? Except for it's not a HIPAA violation at all, but we can get into that a separate time. To me, it's like I come down to two camps and not to be conspiratorial, but it's like either Craig Tylea said, hey, man. We're not going to get you a medical exemption. I'm sorry. We've tried our hardest. Do you mind just waiting to the last possible moment to announce your withdrawal? Because obviously we're trying to build up the hype for the event, and it always helps us selling tickets when we say, hey, Novak Djokovic is going to be in the draw this year. That's option number one. Option number two is much like everything else surrounding this pandemic, there's just still confusion, right? He doesn't know whether he's going to be allowed, and we don't even know if he is vaccinated or not. The best part would be if he comes down and he just goes, yeah, you know, I've actually been vaccinated for months. Like, I just didn't want to – yeah, I'm just playing the long con on all of you. It's just – the thing is that just becomes such an unrealistic scenario because you would think at this point to get the question stop coming his way, he would say, look, I am vaccinated, yada, yada, yada. You know, I don't know what my dad's saying to the press. I don't know this. I don't know that. But – Of course, again, speculation helps no one. I think the single highlight for me, and it came very late in the 2021 season, was that Amy called it Speculation Jones on Twitter and, like, I wish Amy knew the origin of Speculation Jones because I sent that to my roommate who came up with it many moons ago, and he was he was like, we've made it, Alex. He's like, this is <laughs> the, the kindest Christmas gift you could offer me. But yeah, again, at this point, that's all we are doing is speculating until Craig Tiley comes out, until Novak Djokovic comes out. There is no definitive answer. With that said perhaps the best distraction and this whole saga is proof we needed this distraction this whole saga is why they don't let us enjoy an off season for that long is because tennis fans go crazy we finally have some professional tennis Back in our lives, ATP Cup rocking and rolling. You're on the night shift. And of course, I rolled over last night in bed. You know, post New Year's Eve, of course, everyone's going to have to wake up at 5 a.m. to go take a. Pee. I apologize for that graphic display, but you know, I do that. I turn on Tennis Channel to see uh, what matches on and what do I hear? The voice of the one and only Gil Gross. And let's just start right there because obviously I know. You've done Monday match analysis you've done three a tennis show we've now started the 2022 season. you are on the call, my friend. That experience had to have been fun.
1: Yeah this is uh it's a it's amazing to be on an event that is so uh, such a great event with the best players in the world. Um, so yeah it's 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 hard to to really put it put into words but it was pretty fitting. I think to to begin 2022. There, New Year's is uh, one of my favorite holidays. I get I get very, very sentimental about the calendar flip. I'm I'm one of those, uh, so I did uh, I did enjoy the symbolism, of of beginning 2022. In that building, covering the tennis, no place I'd rather be, especially during COVID uh <laughs> during during the all all of this that's everyone I know has it at the moment um yeah. so yeah, yeah it it's. No, I
0: I heard from Dusan Laljevic's hitting partner as well that you got the call up because of COVID. That that that's the words going around the tennis circles. I was like, no, 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 my friend, it was on the merits. But th- I'm just saying, you know, that's what <laughs> the uh, I was talking to who played the doubles catches his you know doubles partner's original coach, and that's actually what he was saying. So just so you know what's going yeah. on on the streets, Gil. Um, I'm like
1: the, but... I'm like the the Ian Book.
0: I <laughs> know. <laughs> you know what it was? Is that tennis channel goes look. We can either have him continue to fire off food takes or we can get him back on the air because at this point he's just going to disqualify himself moving forward. When you, the worst food, okay, I'm anti-Cheese-It just on principle. I haven't talked to you in a while, so we got to air this now. The Cheese-It over pretzel take and over, that was just, did you know when you hit send? Like, is that red meat? Like, you know, every so often you got to throw some red meat to the fans. That was red meat, right?
1: People just love goldfish and pretzels. Oh, and um, I'm which like, are both awful, by the there way, are, so are um, Cheez-Its. Oh, my God. There are a million better snacks. And look, I don't <laughs> love – like I'm not out here like a diehard Cheez-Its fan. Right, <laughs> That's not me. But like, oh, my God. I, I can't – I don't – goldfish and pretzels, like I don't understand why this is like – everyone has hailed this as like the default snack because mm-hmm. it, it shouldn't be. Yeah. So it's yeah one, I, ju- I prefer Cheez-Its.
0: So two things. One, the honey mustard, is it Sanders pretzel bites? Whatever those little, you know, like the pretzel pieces or whatever. Yeah, yeah, I,
1: that, that doesn't count. I, yeah, I like okay. the buffalo ones too. That doesn't count. Yeah,
0: because those are elite. That's an elite snack. But like if we're talking, I mean, Cheez-Its, trash. You know, goldfish, trash. Plain pretzels, Trash. Um, if you're going to go plain anything, it's a plain Pringle. No one has ever eaten a Pringle and been upset with themselves. And I think the singular form of Pringle is just Pringle because uh, I know it's the plural as well. But just for the record, that would have been – the Pringle is the supreme chip would be my food take I would have thrown out to you.
1: Yeah, I, I didn't know that chips were really involved in this. I, I kind of felt pr- like it was a chips separate.
0: part of the pretzel family? I mean like the broader salt snack family?
1: Yeah, they, they wish probably deserve to could be in, see, in there. I wish listeners could but, see
0: your face right now, the contemplation where you're yeah. like, huh, it's a good question. <laughs>
1: I don't know, though. There's a certain like like health aspect to potato chips. It's not really like accepted to snack on potato chips for in terms of like or or comparable to like goldfish and and pretzels, which like parents like send their kids to school with and stuff. (laughs) You know what I mean? I think there's a difference there. But but you're right. If we're counting chips, then of course, I'd rather have a greasy potato chip than a dry pretzel, dry goldfish it's are dry, but I, I like the, I like the all, flavor.
0: All that tells me is you've been in L.A. for too long. If you're starting to decry the chip in favor, favor of the healthy snack, next you're going to come on and give me the take why the cashew is better than the almond, better than the pecan, and that's what you've been devoting your diet to. But, of course, again, we'll save some snack talk, additional snack talk, I should say, for the end. I do want to talk ATP Cup with you. and Look, it's the first event of the year. I was ready to come out here and say, why does Federico Del Bonas' win last night, indicative of the fact that he's going to win a Grand Slam here in 2022? (laughs) Probably not the takeaway from day one of ATP Cup, but let's just start broadly here. When you look at this event, and again, you've got the cheat sheet of rosters out in front of you as well, what are you looking for here in event number one from the ATP Cup? Are you looking for, you know, continuity? Are you looking for growth? What are the things that you are looking for from these players here this week?
1: Hmm. I don't think it's that different from, from another event um, in terms of storylines and, and, and how guys are playing and looking for, again, there, this logjam of young talent in the top 10 that that exists right now. And it's another one without Djokovic and without Nadal, of course, without Federer, without Team And a lot of the more active players recently on tour are are the contenders here, the Zverev and Medvedev and Tsitsipas, depending on the elbow, uh, and Herkach is here and Felix is here and Sinner is here. Um, You know, I think that keeping an eye on those guys and just wondering what's going to give early on in this season because it's just everyone is supposed to go up right now. Everyone is in that ripe age, 23, 24, 25. It's just not going to work that way. I mean, mm-hmm. someone is going to sink. Someone is going to fall uh, on the men's side who, who shouldn't be, who should be going the other direction. And I'm just really fascinated to see who comes out of this um, going the right direction, which is upward.
0: So with that thought in mind, and this is something I asked Jamie McDonald on yesterday's podcast, and I'm curious where you're at with this as well. Since I've known you, something we talk about every episode we do. A, snackage, as you listeners can just Mm -hmm. tell, but B, we talk about the generational shift happening in the men's game. Can we put that term, generational shift, to bed? Is it time to just acknowledge the next generation, as you mentioned, the 23 to 26-year-olds? Of course, obviously, you've got Sinner. You've got the Alcarazes in the queue as well, even a generation younger. They're here now, right? And to your point, all of these events— excluding Novak Djokovic's presence. If you want to throw Nadal in that mix as well, I can't fault you for that. The generational shift has happened, right? We are now in the next phase of the ATP tour. It's not the era of the big three anymore. It's the next-gen era, right? I I think that's a fair assessment to say as we enter 2022.
1: Yeah, I mean, there was a point you looked at the rankings. You had the big four, whatever it may be. You had gatekeepers, No, that's what they were. They weren't gonna win. They they were going to be amazing players. They were gonna go deep, but they weren't gonna win. And then you had younger players on the outside from 2017, 2018, a little bit 2019, but it started to change. We were looking at young players outside the top 15 and watching them move up. All the young players are now in the top 10. If you look at 10 through 25, It's honestly a lot of guys who, yeah, they they could make uh, a resurgent run, but 10 through 25, you're looking at a lot of 30-year-olds. You're looking at Schwartzmans and uh, RBAs and PCBs and, uh, you know, Isner. Uh, These guys, uh, they are not really going to be uh, making massive leaps in their careers at this point. So, yeah, I I think we're going to start to get some some consistency. And one thing that I think is just important to mention is. Tsitsipas and Zverev and Medvedev, this is not like a wide open deal where, okay, now that we've had this generational shift, anyone can win. No, the guys at the top are starting to win very, very consistently. They're not getting upset very much.
0: Mm-hmm. No, case in point You look for Alex Verov last year Loses his first match in Rotterdam Post-Australia to Bublik You can throw that out of the window he Loses, mm-hmm. you know, Miami first round to Russovori mm-hmm. He had just won Acapulco the week before Then 7-6 in the third to Taylor Fritz at Indian Wells Outside of those three only losses on hard courts were Medvedev and Djokovic. Obviously, you look for Daniil Medvedev. Very similar script for him throughout the 2021 season, and we've talked about before why you know Djokovic, Medvedev, Zverev; those are the three guys they've proven it on hard courts entering the 2022 season. But you know, again, statistically, you look at the under 25 rankings or 25 and younger the past six years. You know, there were zero guys 25 or under in the top 10 back in 2015. There are six of them now as we start this 2022 season. If that's not indicative of the generational shift that's happened at the top of the game, I don't know what other stat can indicate that number. And yeah, to your point, some of them are going to sink. Some of them are going to swim. And I think every time we get to see them compete, it's just another data point that is, that is revealing to us whether, uh, you know, who will rise to the top and, you know, again, it's so interesting to hear you mention right away, and I thought tweet of the tweet of the year thus far. Congratulations, my friend, belongs to you. When you talk about Stefano Cipassi yesterday, and Cipassi opting out of the singles match, but then opting to play the doubles. Of course, he had, I believe, it was elbow uh, surgery over the course of the off season, and he's a guy who's working his way back towards health. A guy who's, I think, it's fair to say. I think his hard court results, I don't want to say they were underwhelming last season because there were definitely nuggets of success and you look for CT Paz obviously Australia was where he had his big I would say breakthrough slam performance coming off of the Next Gen Finals title where you know that next year I believe he beats Roger Federer and you know makes a quarterfinal semifinal run you look for him last season on the hard courts again Not exactly a bad year, 31-13 overall. And, you know, at some of the big events, semifinals Australia last year and, you know, quarterfinals Indian Wells, semifinals Cincinnati, quarterfinal Miami, final Acapulco. On paper, it's a pretty solid season. That said, it was so interesting, A, to hear him say, well, I had expectations for myself entering the year. I've adjusted them following my elbow injury. But then, B, for him to play the doubles last night, good decision bad decision
1: I mean uh, I don't know what's going on uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm confused as I said in my tweet I'm, I'm confused about it and uh, I mean there also seems to be a bit of a, a rift if I'm reading the body language with him and Apostolos uh, in the press conference afterwards uh, Steph didn't really explain the decision in a way that that makes it clear why, he wanted to play doubles and not singles, but he's saying it's precautionary. He's taking things slow, but he's also saying in the very next sentence, "My elbow has never been better." Um, obviously, it, again, this is just not making a lot of sense to me. Um, to play the doubles, though, I mean, my thing it was it is it was a dead rubber. Exactly. Now there are tiebreakers. You want to win matches. Greece did win that match, mm-hmm. but. If the elbow needs to rest, then full rest. I I think it's a weird half measure to to say, okay, I'm not going to play the singles, but I can play doubles.
0: Yeah, I I don't mind him going out there. Again, get the serves, get the returns in, find your footing on the court. It's definitely a nice way to get your rhythm in. First match back of the season, play a doubles rubber. That doesn't mean particularly much. In principle, I don't hate that decision in a vacuum, but to your point, it's the communication and just the lack of clarity and what is the game plan for Stefano Tsitsipas? What is he trying to attack here this season? Again, you know, he played 73 matches last year. I think that's second most behind Andre Rublev. And the thing that I keep coming back to is the cautionary tale that is Dominic Team. Like, yeah, if you're Rublev, if you're Tsitsipas, guys who want to play as many matches as humanly possible, I don't think Kasparud's quite there yet but he's sort of on that path to play as many events as possible although now that he's a top 10 guy it'll be fascinating to see how he adjusts his schedule here in 2022 which I'm still just not comfortable saying we'll get there over time listeners I promise but it's the lack of clarity like and to your point yeah. I, I don't think pass uh, uh, it's so funny because like for Rublev Pass, they finished top eight on the year like objectively they had Step forward seasons. They accomplished. If you would have said at the top of the year, I would probably sustain myself in the top eight, qualify for the year-end finals, make pushes at the grand slams. Not to necessarily lump Rublev and Tsitsipas together because I do think Tsitsipas had the better season than Rublev overall. But again, it was amazing because I feel like coming out of 2021 was there a little disappointment in the way Stefanos Tsitsipas ends the year. You know, losses to Tiafoe, Paparin, Rublev at the tour finals. He's done with injury. This is just, again, it's a continuation of that for Stefanos. And obviously, Rublev out with COVID, completely different scenario. But that, to me, is the fundamental issue. is It's that continuation from the end of last year. He wasn't able to shake the confusion that he ended 2021 with.
1: Right. But people are down on him. I don't think it's fair. And yes, yes it, it was a disappointing second half. I just think he was playing hurt. Mm-hmm. You know, plain and simple. I thought he had no preparation at Wimbledon. You could have saw that loss to Francis Tiafo coming. He hurt his foot at some point in the hardcourt North American summer. Uh, didn't look right at the US Open, mm-hmm. didn't look right at Indian Wells because of the elbow, had to pull out of Paris, had to withdraw at the ATP finals. Like sometimes you just need to give someone a pass uh for clearly playing at less than 100%. I really do believe that, like, the real Stefano Tsitsipas is the one that we saw in the first half of the season where he was the first player on the ATP tour to reach 40 wins. <laughs> Get that, you know, big slam breakthrough as as you described it. I think that win against Nadal was massive because it was his first big win at a slam since his really introduction to the world beating Roger Federer in Australia in 2019 and then on clay he was an absolute monster yes. the entire time up until the very very end so i mean i i'm not look i i this is a concerning start especially because he said that his elbow was fantastic pain-free for the first time ever i mean the the rosy picture that was painted was was immense was maximized but Yeah, you're right. Now it's kind of a a wait and see. And definitely, if I'm a Tsitsipas fan, I'm starting to get a little bit antsy, but there's no panic.
0: No, there's a lot of Djokovic to Tsitsipas in just the off-court, intangible qualities about him. Just like the aura of confusion and mysticism. Like, I don't know how else to describe it. I know that's a perhaps hyperbolic way of looking at it, but it's just— it, it is. It's really weird, and you know, again, from a statistic standpoint, Cinti Pass eighteen and two in first round matches last year. He lost to Tiafoe at Wimbledon. He retires against Popperin in uh, at the end of the season. Those were his only uh, first round loss, first match losses. And like again, the Popperin one, you can throw out the window objectively. That's what a superstar does. That's what a top five player does. You take care of business. Perhaps even more impressive, 14-4 and in his second matches as well. He took care of business and beat pretty much everyone he was supposed to beat throughout the course of last season. The question is, again, coming into this season, where's he at mentally? Where's he at physically? Because to your point, we saw him dominate for a three-month stretch in a way we just never had before in 2021. So it was an inauspicious start to the Stefano pass season here at the ATP Cup. Now, the next area I want to go, you want to talk about sink or swim. And this is just a question I'm going to keep cha- you know, harping on because, you know, again, I talked about this yesterday with Jamie McDonald. I apologize to listeners who are going to hear this again, but I want to ask all of the people who I know watch this game closely, what's the deal with Christian Garing? Like, I just don't f***ing <laughs> understand. Like, I'm sorry, and I apologize for the early F-bomb there, but just, it's confounding. I don't get it. Because when I see him fundamentally, I do not see a player who should be 10% worse at breaking serve on hard courts than he is on clay courts. I don't see a guy who should be, you know, uh, what is he batting, like 375 in hard court matches? Which, again, baseball terms, that sounds great. Tennis terms, that's not going to get the job done. And I framed it this way as well yesterday. It feels like if he can become a 500 player on non-clay court surfaces— He's going to be top 20 for the duration of his career. And yet, for some reason, kill it just hasn't clicked for him on hard courts. With all due respect to Bautista Gutt, and I want to talk about him, Schwartzman, Kareno Busta next, because those are the, you know, you talked about it earlier, the guys who were, you know, maintaining their top 10 status, who have been very good for a very long time. And maybe 2022 is that year where the window opens, where they do have an opportunity just to be that last guy standing but Christian Green has all of the qualities and, you know, age-wise, 23, 24, 25 years old, feels like he should be ascending into the prime of his career. And yet, for some reason, something hasn't clicked for him on hard courts. In your opinion, what hasn't clicked? What is he missing?
1: It just seems like he has no confidence. That's it, I mean, right? Like, Because yeah. it's not
0: a tennis thing. Like, fundamentally, I can not and sorry to cut you off. I ask you the question, then I answer it. It's just, like, tennis-wise— I know the backhand's flat, and yeah, it's not the deepest shot. But, like, it's not bad. It's just not—he it, should not be this bad on hard courts.
1: I agree. Uh, I mean, I I might dig into the, the returning. I think that's something that I haven't really watched as closely as maybe I should have. Maybe that's because he's losing so early, usually, in these hard courts events, so I don't get a chance to see it. But, I mean, generally, I think when a player— has that big a discrepancy with the the clay court hard court stuff. It it comes down to returning the serve and just being able to take advantage of the way the ball loses speed on the clay courts and uh being able to start a lot of points neutral. I mean, Gareen is such an amazing athlete. Quadzilla, unbelievable <laughs> quick around the quick around the court, great endurance. He's got a powerful forehand. The backhand being flat, that should be better for hard courts than clay the serve is uh is big enough it's not like someone who i could you know it's it's not someone who i think doesn't serve big enough to kind of keep up with gaining that advantage that his opponents get but i think that he's very he's very timid out there sometimes like i just he he shows up at certain events clay court events smaller events and he has a real swagger about him like he's the man and he just doesn't seem to have that when he's not on clay it's it is unfortunate i'm with you though on the overall gist of this which is that it really shouldn't be like that but you know what i've never expected like he's never even shown me flashes that have made me kind of expect that like oh you know Gareen might do something here i have not once believed in him because he hasn't shown me that he believes in himself yet
0: yeah no again in his career 18 and 34 in hard court events at the atp level how many quarterfinals do you think he's made in his career at on hard courts
1: um that sounds like maybe 4
0: two he's made 2 both back in 2019, Chengdu, Paris Masters, end of the year, and when he did that, you felt for a second like, okay, there it is. He's starting to see the rhythm, and again, 2019, he's 23 years old at the end of the season, totally fine to for a guy who was very Clay Court-centric in his success, both at the Futures level, Challenger level, early on at the ATP level, we all remember the christian green casper rude final back in houston or at least if you're a hardcore nerd you do because that felt like a next-gen sort of clay court final at that time when it was most pressing and yet like to see the divergence in path between he and rude who you know again both forehand centric and yet you know both games you can see why they work so well at clay but to your point Quadzilla over here, just like, can he not find forehands on hard courts? No, he can find hard courts, uh, uh, find forehands on hard courts. And I just, uh, fundamentally, you know, the hold percentage drops by 1% from clay courts to hard courts. He's at 76% on the clay, he gets to 75% on the hard courts. Like, that is not the fundamental issue. It's something about the return of serve, and I refuse to believe that just because of a clay court, he's able to run around the ball and hit more forehand returns on a clay court. Like, no, that's not the answer to me, and that's why I think you hit it square on the head. It's got to be a confidence thing. It's got to be an intangible quality because tangibly— His game should translate. Particularly like last year at Indian Wells, it felt like it was tailor-made. A fall Indian Wells, those courts playing slower than ever. Like, that should have been the Christian Green breakthrough event. And yet, it just it fundamentally wasn't. And just like, again, you look for him across the board last year. 3-8 and on hard courts. His three wins, Norbert Gombos, who he then loses to 0-1 at Davis Cup. You know, he beats Alex Mulcan in Davis Cup. He beats Ernesto Escobedo in his first match at Indian Wells. It's just not good enough. It's just not good enough.
1: What about, I think I see the same thing, though, when he plays top players even when it's on clay. He beat Medvedev in Madrid, but I also think there's a little bit of a, a confidence issue when he plays Top Guns on his favorite surface. Like, I just don't feel like he buys himself. I don't yeah. feel like like he has enough of a swagger out there. Um, and, yeah, he's 25, so, so hopefully he can start to, to believe a little bit more.
0: Yeah, that's the thing. It's just like now he's in the prime. And now it's just we've seen a big enough sample size to the point where, okay, if it's not clicking this season, then fundamentally something's wrong. And it might be time to just say, okay, he's a guy you expect to make big results clay court season. He'll fall off the rest of the year. We'll be a top 50 guy for a while. In the right clay court seasons, he can push top 30, top 20. But I swear to God, like 500 level results. He doesn't need to go – if he goes 6-5 and five instead of 3-8, and eight, he would have been top 12 last season. He would have been in the mix to make the year-end finals. And it's just like, it's, that's not that big of a jump. That's why I'm so fascinated by him entering this season. Even though you've write, written off Team Chile, I will still be watching them because <laughs> I do want to see a confident Christian Green entering uh, the Australian Open. And again, just I feel like he doesn't have that many points to defend on a hard court. But, so. By the
1: way, I probably shouldn't have picked on Chile because yeah. <laughs> cause they're not that bad. Uh, Alejandro T- uh, Tabilo, is is a pretty good player. I mean, he, he played well um, yesterday, so mm-hmm. no, they're, not, they're not bad.
0: No, he can play, again, all of these teams, super fun, and we're not going to run through every roster, every matchup. I just kind of, again, want to talk through pockets of people to watch here early, and I think one of the pockets of people to watch, as I mentioned, are, I don't want to call them the lost gen, but, like, it is interesting to note that of... You know, Ben Rothenberg used to have the Milos Raonic theory, which is just that at a certain point, Milos Raonic's best will be good enough to win a Grand Slam because just by age trajectory, again, this was a long time ago, but by career trajectory-wise, Djokovic falls off, Nadal falls up, the young guys aren't quite there yet. Someone from that generation, just by virtue of being the last one there, by being good enough in that moment, would have an opportunity to capture a Grand Slam. Now, obviously, the ascension of some of the next-gen guys has put a wrinkle or two into that theory. But you look, again, coming out of it last season, statistically, you could argue for both Pablo Carreno Busta and Diego Schwartzman that they had the best years of their career. And again, the numbers suggest they were better at holding serve, better at breaking serve than they ever have been in the past. Of course, you've got a Grigor Dimitrov lingering in the background as well. Bautista Gut, a little bit older than those guys, but he's always been lumped in with them because his ascension to his prime came a little bit later than your normal career trajectory. We saw Schwartzman get a win last night. We saw RBA get a win last night. We saw PCB get a win last night. Where are you with generation meh? Like, you know, how are you feeling about yeah. those guys entering 2022?
1: I think there's, like, a bit of an overall fallacy, and I don't think this is going to be a popular take, but there are a lot of players that people look at and they get kind of, like, a poor them, they were in the big three era kind of treatment, sure. and it's just not rooted in in fact. Mm-hmm. A lot of these players, like, if you look at an RBA, there's one major semifinal and did he did he lose to i'm trying to think novak I maybe, isner
0: i want to say yeah i think that's exactly right yeah
1: yeah um that that isn't good enough in in any era right he wasn't thwarted from winning a slam because of the big three and yes it's understood that the big three have hoarded the slams sure in a, in a big way but rba your rbas of the world Uh, just to use one name, and there are so many others out there, they are not the players who really felt the adverse effects. Andy Murray felt the adverse effects. David Ferrer felt the adverse effects. A couple of guys, maybe Sanga Burdich. Tomas Burdich, yeah, exactly. Yeah, there there are not a lump of 20 players whose careers were significantly impacted by the Big Four. Or the big three rather it it just it doesn't work like that we've never had an era in men's tennis where where 15 guys are eating you know there's gonna be four or five guys eating the rest aren't gonna be so these look amazing players amazing careers making you know unbelievable careers for themselves but in terms of like is it now time for one of these guys to rise up and win a major I've never kind of bought into that because I think if you if you're not getting to unless you're making semifinals consistently and quarters and you're just getting thwarted by the top guys, unless you're knocking on the door in that kind of way, then you're probably just not in that tier. And it's not about a couple of guys and waiting for them to pass on because that, the top tier, they're going to get replaced, and they have. And I just can't see – like I see Medvedev and Zverev and Tsitsipas as very – if you take Djokovic out of the picture – as very solid favorites right now who are, are unlikely to just kind of give away a slam to one of these outsiders.
0: Yeah, I mean, you look at the numbers again, Roberto Bautista, two quarterfinals in his career at the Slams. Australian Open 2019, he lost in 4-2 Tsitsipas. And then 2019, Wimbledon, he makes the semifinals, loses to Novak Djokovic, as you mentioned. You look for Pablo Carreno Busta, he's made four quarterfinals in his career, you know, has advanced to the semifinals twice at the US Open, doing it in 2017 and 2020. He loses to Anderson and Zverev respectfully in those matches. Those are your opportunities. Those are your golden openings he wasn't able to take advantage of them now it is interesting Diego Schwartzman was playing well enough on the clay courts I thought during 2020 that it is interesting in like a parallel universe does he create himself an opportunity to maybe just by virtue of being that guy who's still alive maybe win that 2020 French Open if you play it a hundred times does he sneak out one title? Probably not because there's a guy by the name of Rafael Nadal in the draw who's the greatest clay court player ever. Um, but that is the interesting one. And yet still, you look for Diego Schwartzman throughout the course of his career at the Grand Slams. Again, it's not like there's 10 Grand Slam quarterfinals. There's five of them. Now, three of them have been at the U.S. Open. He's lost to Nadal—or Uh, or three, uh, five quarterfinals. He's lost to Nadal at the three times he's made the quarterfinals or further at the French Open. He's probably got the strongest case of being one of those guys who— perhaps was most impacted. He's closest to being a song being a bird. It's being one of those guys who maybe gets over the hump. Still to your point, I don't think any tennis fan looks at Diego Schwartzman as someone who by virtue of being in the big three, big four era has been robbed of grand slam titles. I don't think it's an unpopular theory. I think it's the correct theory. And I think you've illustrated it beautifully. Now, again, statistically, you look for Diego Schwartzman last year, three you know career high in hold percentage 75.6 career high and he led the ATP tour in break percentage last season 34.5 or excuse me he's 0.4 below his 2020 mark but you know Diego Schwartzman age 30 years old in October this year uh August this year he's in the prime of his career and maybe that's the one guy you think okay right now this season He is a dark—it's not a dark horse pick because he's 13 in the world, but that's like a dark horse pick at the French Open. That's one where you could intrigue me. You could be interested. You know, you look for Carano Busta last season. Again, career-high win percentage. He wins two-thirds of his matches, 38-19. and He's 5% above his hold percentage, right around his career average break percentage-wise. These are two guys who are in the prime of their careers. But to your point, like, yeah, it was great seeing Carino Busta get the win yesterday. It was great seeing Schwartzman get the win yesterday and how comfortable they look. They're probably, to your point, the gatekeepers, right? You beat them. Now you're a serious Grand Slam contender at these events. But I don't know. I mean, again, I think Schwartzman and Roland Garros is interesting this year, particularly with an injured Dominic team. But outside of that, like... And Kareno Busev, he's the last man standing at the U.S. Open, but you still think then, like, right now, just by virtue of how long the season is, it's either Zverev's the favorite at the U.S. Open, Medvedev's the favorite at the U.S. Open, or if Novak Djokovic isn't allowed to play any of the slams this year, depending on the vaccination status, I can guarantee you he will be granted an exemption to come into the United States to play New York. Like, it just feels like a pipe dream. And if that's the expectation we're setting for these guys 2022 might be a story in the same of what they've seen throughout the course of their careers.
1: Yeah, for Schwartzman, I was really excited for Claycourt season last year yes. because of what he did in 2020. He was so good in 2020. Amazing win against team in the quarterfinal. Um, and then he went on like this four five match losing streak in the lead up to Roland Garros. Then he played pretty well in Paris. He actually mm-hmm. surpassed expectations there. But it's been a strange, inconsistent 12 months for Schwartzman, where it's been a little bit hard to get a read on him. Where I do agree is the highs are very high for him. When he's playing well, I think he's playing awesome. And definitely someone who who could go really deep um, at, at Roland Garros. I agree with that. And then for Pablo Carina Busta, I was super high on him around olympic time hamburg yes. he was playing fantastically well over there uh at that time of year he just maxim Kressi beat him at the open that was one of the most shocking upsets of the year in my opinion um again they can go deep i think we both agree they can make runs it's just if they're playing a medvedev and a zverev in a in a major final how much you know how good are their chances of of actually taking that final step Mm -hmm. not great
0: yeah, no, I mean, people criticize the ATP for its last of lack of proactive nature. There's actually a new governing rule after the 2020 U.S. Open that Karino Busta and Zverev aren't allowed to play in a Grand Slam semifinal ever again. <laughs> They're like, we are never going to allow anyone to suffer through that once more. Um, but yeah, again, that's where I'm at with Generation Meh. Like, all right, I'll, I'll put it out there because, I mean, it's such a hypothetical. But I do think this is the year where it's like, if you're going to steal one, do it right now. Because Medvedev, yeah, he's won one, but it's just winning one. And, you know, Zverev, he's come close a bunch of times, still hasn't done it. boss hasn't done it. As narrow as that window is, this is the window. Most likely to do it. Schwartzman, Kareno Busta, or I'll throw Dimitrov on that list. If one of them, I'm not mm. even going to say win a Grand Slam, but make a Grand Slam final this year, which one of those three is
1: it? The one thing that works in... Crane Obusta and Dimitrov's favor is that there's two hard court slams (laughs) and only one clay court slam but I'm still gonna go with Diego Schwartzman. he's he's the dude who I could see having a really good match and and beating a top five player deep in a major
0: yeah and People love him. And, you know, again, if you say anything bad about him, Steve Weissman will be in your DMs because <laughs> short people stick together. Um, all right. With all of that said, uh, again, just some final thoughts here as we roll around. Let's do Canadians and Americans real quick before I let you go because I feel like you've earned a second nap before you get your call time later tonight. Again, midnight shift. If you are enjoying some late night tennis, you're going to hear those beautiful tones of Gil Gross. Start with the Canadians. Shapovalov, FAA. There were pockets of excellence from both of them last season. Now, obviously, the running gag on tennis Twitter wins FAA, going to win his first ATP title. I, please, tennis gods, if you're going to grant us a gift this year, let it be in 2022. Let's put that narrative to bed, please. At the same time you look for Denis Shapovalov, he had the best result of the duo, in that he made the semifinals of Wimbledon. And yeah, it wasn't the best showing for him against Djokovic in that semifinal, but Shapovalov found himself in a Grand Slam semifinal. And when you talk about the combination of athleticism, power, everything you want in the modern game, he's got it. Where are you with those two entering the season?
1: For Shapo, the weird thing is that Wimbledon semifinal destroyed the rest of his season. Yeah. And I, I don't get it. I don't understand why his reaction to making that stage at Wimbledon was a, a loss of motivation. And I, I'm the same guy who has been completely understanding and actually like predictive of motivational dips when it comes to like a Dominic team. I totally get that. You work. Towards one thing, and you're 27 years old, and you've reached the top of the mountain, and you need to wake up the, the next morning and grind just as hard as you were before. That's hard. That's borderline unrealistic. You got to reset the mind. So I get that. But Chapo makes a Wimbledon semifinal and he feels like he's reached his mountain because I feel like he's not given himself enough credit there. He is massively talented. And I think his expectations for himself should be a lot higher than just to to feel really content that he made one Wimbledon semifinal and then kind of a little bit lollygag through the rest of the year. So I'm confused about chapeau and I, I, I want to see what he does at the start of 2022. I'm a little higher on Felix right now, uh, who has finally kind of, I think, made that leap mentally where he's managing the nerves better and he's got such a good team around him and has such a good work ethic that it's so hard not to have faith in him.
0: Yeah, Felix has been the guy. You know, he's one of my six. I think he's a lock to win a Grand Slam. You see his serve, you see his forehand, it works. That said, there's a fluidity to Shapovalov. I mean... It's fascinating. You know, I watched the newest Matrix recently, and by the way, not good. I'm just going to throw that out there. Major disappointment. <laughs> you want to waste two and a half hours? Go watch the newest Matrix, where approximately nothing happens for two and a half hours. That said, there's just there's the one qualities. Like, there's a little Neo to Denis Shapovalov in that. Like, again, he doesn't fully believe in himself yet, but he is capable of doing all of these things on the court. And talk about someone who's got some Sabalenka in him, where there are 15 minutes where you're just going to say, holy crap, this guy's the guy. Like, you, to be a lefty, that athletic, that powerful, that creative as well, and that engaging with the fans, good Dennis is is spectacular the problem is the gap between good Dennis and what the hell am I doing out here Dennis is very very vast and we see too much of what the hell am I doing out here Dennis still to this day and just again as he approaches age 23 24 25 and I think that's what's so important to remember about Dennis Shapovalov because you know again we had Damian Kust on the show to talk about his top 50 prospects 99 or later like Had Denis Shapovalov not been top uh, 100 already, had he not already won uh, an ATP title in his career, he was born in 1999. Like, let's not be crazy here. Denis Shapovalov, this is his age 23 season. Like, he is still not at the—he has not ascended to the prime of his career. Now, we've already seen the highs that we have is indicative of the growth that is possible. You know what's interesting— because you talk about how there's never really been the big era where everyone eats on the ATP tour. There sort of was, right? That early 2000s era when, yep. you know, the Leighton Hewitts of the world, Safins, Roddick's, and the Gaudios, and all the, these people on Carlos Ferreros. Like, that's the thing about Dennis Shapovalov. is you can see the world where on his best days, he's right there with the Medvedevs. He's right there with the Zero's right there with the Tsitsipas. Because when he's playing front foot tennis, he's got the power and, again, the athleticism, fluidity to do all of these different things on the court. It's just putting it together. But to your point, I mean, just Felix is just the real deal. Everything about him screams professional. And I know, uh, you know, that's another guy, still not 23 years old, could have hypothetically qualified for that list. And just the the growth and the consistency we saw from him at the big events last season, that's the indicator you're looking for from these young guys. And he flashed that last season – I do think this is going to be a big year for Canadian tennis. I think both of those guys, when they're setting their goals for the season, and it's crazy to think, like, finally FAA is not going to be eligible to play the next-gen finals, mm-hmm. they should have Tureen on their minds. They should have top-eight finishes because you can't convince me they look at the season of Casper Rood and say and Cam Norris of the world and say, why can't I do that? Because they absolutely can, in my opinion.
1: Yeah. Now, again— we we love We're them speculation
0: together. Jones here yeah, a little bit as well uh,
1: yes and no I mean yeah. I think this is this is fair game it's just what does chapeau think he is is yeah. is what I don't know you know when pass loses
0: thinks he's a rapper I can answer that
1: for you yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. when Stefano citypas loses he is so inconsolably miserable yes and it doesn't matter if it's a, a semi-final and he's a huge underdog and he just lost to Nadal uh, I remember when when that very case happened in australia in 2019 yeah he was so absolutely disgusted and miserable with losing and that's kind of i think how you should be if you're going to be uh you know not i mean is already an amazing player but is that how i want my major champion to be wired it it is uh so i don't know um in, in that respect. And then with Felix, it's more technical. There has never been a top player who isn't very good at keeping the ball in the court when they have to. And Felix just needs to make less unforced errors. Very simple. And if that happens, he's uh, going to skyrocket.
0: No, it's crazy because the fluidity got better. The backhand got better last season. Obviously he knows what plan A is big serve, big forehand. And it's so obvious that that's going to have success for quite a bit of time. So it is it, it's crazy to think as good as plan A is for Felix that like Chappo might actually be the more dynamic of the two. And yeah. that's again why I think people have been so excited about Canadian tennis for these past five years because you see the talent. It's abundantly clear. And then, you know, you got my boy Liam Draxel, who can go hear from on the Cracked Interviews podcast, killing it at the collegiate level as well. The developmental path is working for Tennis Canada. So of course, you know, keep an eye out on the Canadians. Again, rapid fire here down the home stretch. The Americans. We've got Isner, we've got Fritz competing here at the ATP Cup, obviously Francis Tiafo, big season last year. And you look overall, we had eleven Americans in the top seventy. That's first time that's happened since the nineties, all these different finals, titles, title all we did a lot of firsts since the nineties in twenty twenty one in American men's tennis. You look towards twenty twenty two and again we know what we're getting from John Isner. I I don't even think I could do five minutes on John Isner uh, because, again, what is there left to say that hasn't already been said? But of the next generation, the Fritzes of the world, the Tiafos, the Opelkas, what do you want to see from them here? First three months, hard court swing, a, a part of the season where obviously all of those guys should be positioned to have success throughout their career.
1: I don't know if I'm crazy, but I'm feeling pretty comfortable in— two or three Americans being top 20 mm-hmm. by the end of 2022. And obviously right now there are zero, but Fritz Isner knocking on the door. Corda um, is a question. Brooksby's is a question for me in terms of being able to make the top 20. And a question is in a good thing as in they can just yeah. to be clear. Um, you know, the big, I think, unknown right now is is there a top 10 in there? is there someone who's going to kind of transcend the the zone of i'd say 20 through eight Mm -hmm. um and that's what's kind of unclear because who is that guy uh is it is it brooksby with this crazy unconventional game that is is really hard to is really hard to put a finger on is it fritz with some athletic limitations but such a big serve amazingly big ground strokes, a mental that's getting so much better. Uh, is it? Is it Tiafo, unbelievable athleticism and court craft and a big serve and a big forehand and an unconventional awkward backhand? Uh, I don't know. What do you think? Like, And, and do you think that that is the question? Because if you're asking, is there going to be a bunch of Americans in the top 20? I'm feeling pretty comfortably, yeah.
0: Yeah, I've always been glass half. Uh, glass half full right that's the good that's the good side of that uh, anecdote whatever that is that's saying yeah I'm glass half full on the Americans for sure like all of them you can make a case for all of them from Fritz all the way through to Tommy Paul and with all due respect to Marcos girone and Mackey I'm not going to include them in this conversation but all those guys born 96 or later Things just started to click, whether it was Tommy Paul, just the degree of focus he found at the end of the year to do it for six straight weeks. We had not seen Tommy put it together for six weeks the way he had at the end of last season. Now, did he party in Miami in the, you know, in the six weeks from the end of the season to now? I am sure he enjoyed himself, but can he regain that focus, continue to sustain that level? That's the question because the, all the physical tools are there. I am so sure Taylor Fritz is going to be the best tennis player he can possibly be. He will hit his ceiling, whatever that ceiling is. And again, it's an athletically limited ceiling, but he will become the best athlete he can be. And I agree with you. From a confidence standpoint, I think he's there now. I think he... He feels more—I mean, he's never lacked in confidence, but he feels more secure, point in, point out. I don't have to gun it right away early in the rally. I do have the physicality now to grind a little bit to wait for my forehand. It was fascinating seeing Shapovalov work him in Mubadala. Like, that was one of the matches I was watching closely, and I took more away about Shapo there, just thinking, like, oh, man, Shapo was not phased by the Fritz weapons. But I think 90% of the top one hundred is going to be overwhelmed just by the sheer heaviness of the Taylor Fritz serve and just the firepower he has off both wings. Francis Tiafo is just he's exceptional. Like something clicked last year. It was really fun to watch and I think again him he may not have reached his career high the way he had back in 2019, but his success in 2021 was far more real if that makes sense than it was early in his career. <laughs> I don't think it's a hot take. I think it's a correct take. I think if we end this season, and that's not even talking about Korda, Brooksby, Nakashima, who to me, they don't have to be top 20 this year. I just want to see them sustain top 50. I want to see them duplicate to 80%, 85%, 90% of what they did last season. If they're able to duplicate that, sustain themselves in the top 50 in their first full years at the ATP Tour level, that proves they belong. And then once you prove where we belong, we can take the steps after that that to me is what I'm looking at for the younger guys, but I agree with you. One of those 97s, 98s, and you know Opelka, Fritz. Opelka the interesting one because he was hot and cold last year. Like there's yeah, no and, doubt. and
1: I I knew I was I knew I was forgetting a name, and and it was Opelka. He he should be in there. He should be mentioned because the there is no reason. You and I have been on the the train for a long time, that his upside is higher than Isner's, and yes. Isner was a top 10 player for multiple years.
0: Yeah, and again, Riley turns 25 this year. Like, it's just time to, if, even if he doesn't hit the upside, it's time to raise the floor. Like, too many first-round losses for him last season. I think, again, he had more first-round losses than wins throughout the course of the season. That's just not acceptable moving forward forward. But no, I agree with you. Glass half full, if you're an American men's tennis fan, no doubt about that entering the season. Now, with that in mind, again, home stretch, ATP Cup format. You like it? You don't like it? Where are you with it?
1: I think there are some issues. Overall, I like it. I think the the singles, doubles, breakdown, where the twos play, the ones play, and then you play a doubles uh, to decide it. I think that's really good. I think that's the right way. There is an issue, I think, with like qualification. Um, I think that's the biggest problem with the tournament is you have, you have players who are just not going to be able to compete at this level. Um, I thought the, the Norway um, you're telling me Durasovic
0: didn't belong out there.
1: Exactly. It's kind of what (laughs) I'm telling you. I was going to say the Norway Serbia tie was really interesting, but it was just, it was also hard to watch a little bit at times because you know, Durasovic just he shouldn't be out there with Philip Krajinovich yeah. like that's it at the moment and in that respect there's kind of some issues and some also some just fairness issues which I think we just have to accept you yeah. know entertainment comes at the expense of fairness sometimes is it fair to some of the Russians is it fair to some of the Spaniards um, some of the Americans even that they don't get a chance at this prize money at these rankings points because they were born in the wrong country. Not exactly. Is it fair that Durasovic has a chance to improve his ranking of 345 in the world in a massive way if he can win one of these second singles matches? Not really. He didn't really earn that. Kaspar Rude did. But you know what? It is what it is. And overall, I like the ATP Cup. I think there's a lot of advantages over the Davis Cup. Um, and the biggest problem is not with the ATP Cup. Singularly, it's with the idea that we just had Davis Cup and now it's time for ATP Cup.
0: You nailed it. Thanos belongs in an Avengers movie, not competing (laughs) on a singles court against Hubi Hurcots and like, with all due respect to Perver Larakis and Durasovic, like if they're going to play a match later in this tournament and one of them's going to get sixty ATP points, that's asinine. Like I think Alejandro Tabilo. He is a borderline—like, this is a mm-hmm. great opportunity for him. And, you know, as we're speaking, Arthur Rindernesh, Roman Cefilian, walking on the court, I will tell you this. The hardcore nerds know before there was Medvedev, before there was Rublev, before there was Hatchnov. Roman Cefilian was the guy for Russian junior tennis. We're talking 2010, 2011, 2012 sort of days, and he's dealt with a bunch of different injuries. It's fun to see those guys. Why are we giving them points? Why are we letting them make these big jumps? I agree with you. Like that's and again, it's not an ATP cup issue. It's just it's it's the broader structural issues with the tournament where sometimes we just do things that really don't make much sense. That said, I do think it's a fun event. I'd be fine if they were just like Line up 12 guys, you're our 12 captains. Let's pick teams. Let's make it public. I want to know, who does Hubi Hurkots want on his team here, of all of the players available in this ATP Cup pool, uh, because I do think that could be fun, but I do like this as a way to get back into the tennis. Like, I do like this sort of event as the chaser, and, you know, again, tonight we get FAA Fritz, we get Medvedev bear, we get... Uh, it says Shapovalov versus Isner was canceled. So I'm going to have to look into that and see why it was canceled. That's a recent update on my little Google search. But, yeah, even like Zirav Nori, Demon Hour coming later tonight. And I think those are your matches, my friend. Mm-hmm. Those are going to be fun ones for sure. And so it, it is a nice way to get back into the action. With all that said, you want to make a prediction? Who's taking home the ATP Cup?
1: I, I have a feeling about Germany. I think their doubles is super solid. It was it, especially at Davis Cup with uh, Kevin Kravitz and Tim Puetz, And obviously, when you have Zverev at number one singles, best of three on a hard court, this is Zverev's best, uh, I don't know, parameters <laughs> for, for success. Um, so I think Germany is my favorite, but really Group C. Group C is absolute fire with Canada, the U.S., Great Britain, and Germany. All of those teams are good. Group and of whoever- Death? Group of death. Group of death. Yeah, <laughs> because I mean, again, it's not about these number one guys. Like Greece yeah. is bad. Uh, <laughs> Norway is bad, and like that's not CC Pas and Rude's fault. It's just not. But that's the reality in this tournament. Depth matters uh, in this format. Um, so you know, like I think this. I think Group C has most of the best teams. Yeah. Russia, but like Russia, I don't think they're gonna be very good. Ooh.
0: I mean so again it's a rite of passage right until you carry your team in a Davis Cup format an ATP Cup format can you really be considered the best player in the world now Zverev's got he's going to get by with a little help from his friends and you know does he need anybody we need somebody to love I would say he's got Jan-Leonard Struff to love he's got former Auburn Tiger Tim Puetz for some love as well um, yeah I agree with you Germany's probably the pick here because again this is the format where Zverev thrives so much but Yeah, group of death like that. It's brutal. It is no fun to be in group C. And so spectacular action. Of course, you will be on the call for all of it. Uh, And I want to give you an opportunity to tell people how they can support your work moving forward, because I know you've set up a channel for them to be able to do so. My last tennis related question for you. Where are you at with Dominic team? As we look here, he's out of Australia, nursing injury, going to make that comeback come the clay court season now. You know, there's been speculation. He could have played. He didn't want to deal with the bubble. He was not the biggest fan of it last season. It's not a vaccination issue. It's a bubble issue. He just was not a fan. Where are you on team entering this 2022 season?
1: Benefit of doubt. I'm I'm giving it to him. I like it. When, when, When you're a really good player and you're 29 years old, especially, and you get injured, like... Gil gross is not going to write you off. Uh, It's just not, that's not the formula for me. Does it, does it feel hard to predict? Does it feel uncertain? Yeah. And one thing that, that I will say is to assume that team is going to get to the level that he was at in 2020, where he was the second best player in the world, knocking on the door, knocking on Novak Djokovic's door to be the best player in the world. Is he ever going to get back there? Well, that's unbelievably hard, no matter even if you're Dominic Team. So, even if he's healthy and mentally in a good spot, he still might look 2020 might be the peak. That just might be it. But in terms of is he going to ever become a top 10 player who's playing the biggest matches? Um, that I have, I really have little doubt. Uh, he, ha- he gets my benefit of the doubt in that respect.
0: Yeah, it's a fair take that he's 29 years old. I've never felt older in my life. Um, that hurts to just hear <laughs> out loud, and you know what I didn't miss with all the injuries—the thirsting for Dominic Team on tennis Twitter. Tennis Twitter is seventy-five percent thirst, ten percent analysis, fifteen yep. percent potpourri, or just random other stuff. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that's the fair take. Now he plays such a physical brand of tennis. Like, I don't think you can just pencil. It's so funny because again, he would—he was the heir apparent. You pencil him in. So let me just ask you this: More likely to win the twenty twenty two French Open, we can end on this, Carlos Alcaraz or Dominic Team?
1: Hi. yeah. Good question. <laughs>
0: yeah, and save the good ones, friend. And by the way, if you want to steal that for like two fifteen a.m. this morning, please do as a thought <laughs> exercise.
1: Oh man, um, I'm gonna go with Team. I'm gonna go with Team. I mean, it's just. I'm I'm having a lot of trouble envisioning uh, Carlos Alcaraz in his current physical maturity, especially and and also technical maturity. Not mental, by the way. I think yeah. he's I think he's dynamite in that respect. Uh, yeah, I'm having trouble seeing that. Whereas team, I don't know. You know, if if athletically and explosively he gets back to where he was. I don't think it's going to take very long for him to to play great tennis. And you know what? He probably needed a break from the sport. And in that respect, I think it could have been a good silver lining because obviously he was just needing to reset his motivational fire. Mm-hmm. And that is probably done. When you spend that much time away from the sport, I um, I anticipate that team will hit the ground running mentally.
0: Yeah, it's a fair take. I'm going to lean Carlito because, man, like, I just, again, he doesn't have to get any better at tennis throughout the course of his career, and as long as he physically matures, he's going to be there at the end of Grand Slams. This guy is the real deal, and so I would go Lito, but... Yeah, Dominic team is freaking awesome, too. It's going to be great to get him back in the mix. It's just great to have pro tennis back in our lives. And, of course, as you know, there's no better show to help monitor outside of our Cracked Rackets Network here. All of the action happening on tour. Then Monday Match Analysis. Then three, a tennis show. When they retire, what does three, a tennis show, pivot to? Do we do it the key three now? It's just like a different three. <laughs> we throw them in. Uh, that's going to be a heck of a well, – what we do retirement segments on them? It's going to be great to see you, Amy Joel, in action. but of course i know again you have set up a channel for listeners fans to help set you up tell us about that how can we support what you're doing Gil? on the
1: uh on youtube i have uh created a membership program where if you join the channel and it goes through google play very user friendly um for two dollars a month you can ensure the future of of the channel and and help me out and i will do some uh some perks, some um, members-only live chats, and uh, priority on answering mailbag comments and stuff. So you do get a little bit, but for the most part, it is just uh, it is just to support the channel in a way that is going to keep it going for a very long time in the future, which is what I hope it is. So
0: yeah, I I don't know if it's popped up yet. My two dollars will be there, my friend. And so obviously, I am supporting what you are doing. I didn't mean to cut you off there. What can we expect over the next few weeks?
1: thanks brother um next 2 weeks 2 weeks that's a long time from now uh, yeah we're going to we're going to keep it going what is 3 going to pivot to what joel always says is people still talk about the beatles yeah
0: <laughs> yes that's what are you going to are you telling me get back is going to be 3 a tennis show production just the, <laughs> the equivalent? you've got 68 hours of footage of all of that that's what i like <laughs> to hear my friend yeah um, yeah no I, I worry about joel's health post three he'd be i you know again i he is the he is the lifeblood. i love you amy i love you Gil. but it's all I about know. joel drucker there um no it, it, again it's a fantastic show i promised one more take one candy bar rest of your life what do you go with
1: oh man i i'm not a massive candy bar guy but i have takes i'm gonna i'm gonna yeah. deliver
0: yeah that you got to be tv skinny now is the problem
1: yeah, <laughs> it's it's the L.A. Okay, yeah. can I can I let you try to persuade me? I'm gonna give you what I'm contemplating in my head, and I will give you a chance. Well, to... if the
0: answer is not fast break from Reese, you're just wrong.
1: But go fast ahead, Gr- Grusky. I've never even tried that. Are you serious? Get fast him off the break. show, Westhoff. <laughs> cancel him. This is atrocious. Um, all, right, all right, I will have I will have one and get back to you. But but I was thinking, uh, three Musketeers. Oh, I like that marshmallow. God. That's a candidate. A candidate. Uh, a thousand grand.
0: Okay. Now we're talking. It's a yep. hundred grand, but it's okay.
1: Oh, well, I like... This anyway.
0: proof that you're not a big candy <laughs> guy. Go on. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, baby Ruth.
0: Oh, my God.
1: You know what? No, I screwed up. I'm that. rescinding my $2. That. I don't support Look, you. I... This
0: is atrocious.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm not... You know what? Uh, Butterfingers... I like Butterfingers. I know that it gets a lot of hate. Uh, Fresh Butterfingers, not if they're stale.
0: I mean, you're just digging this hole, my friend. You say I'm in a coffin right now. Let's switch locations. Oh, sweet baby, Ray's. This is why Jenna loves you, because your teeth are perfect, because you've never enjoyed (laughs) a candy bar in your life. This is what I'm starting to learn. Um, Does this mean you're an ice cream man? Are you just not a sweets guy?
1: No, no, big ice cream. Big ice cream okay, back. so then no. let's
0: pivot here. I'm going to give you a shot at redemption. Your ice okay. cream flavor of choice. A shot at redemption. By the way, it's canty takes, Sorry.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, this okay. this shouldn't surprise you, but coffee, coffee, ice cream.
0: Holy crap! We have to end this show before I kill you. <laughs> All right. <laughs> With that in mind, again, where they tell me one more time, what what can they follow the channels? Where can they support it?
1: Gil Gross YouTube. Three a tennis show youtube all podcast platforms both shows and do not sleep instead watch tennis channel
0: that's what i like to hear well my friend it is always a pleasure to love getting the chance to chat with you i love you as well be safe be healthy i look forward to rolling over each and every morning over the next week and hearing your coverage of the
1: atp cup pleasure as always happy new year
0: happy new year my friend Hope all of you listeners enjoyed today's episode with Gil Gross. A huge thank you to him, as always, for taking the time to chat. I know we ask all of you to support our efforts here at Crack Rackets, but I sincerely mean it when I say go support Gil's work as well. One of my favorites in the business, a rising star in tennis media, and as always, we are so grateful for his contributions to our show. The least we can do is also ask you to support him as well. But, of course, this is the first of many fantastic. fantastic podcast we have planned here in 2022 if you missed any of our off-season coverage you can catch up on it all On our website, CrackedRackets.com. Of course, not only is the ATP and WTA season right around the corner, we've got college tennis on the horizon as well. If you've missed any of our Power 5 conversations, you can hear from all of the men's and women's head coaches over on our Cracked Interviews podcast feed. Of course, again, if you've missed out on any of that content, you can also find it all on our website, CrackedRackets.com. Of course, as always, I will ask you to like, rate, subscribe, review to this show, the Great Shot Podcast, Cracked Interviews Podcast, and our YouTube channel to ensure you don't miss out on on any of our content. Of course, if you need the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, we are at Crack Rackets. You want to message me directly. I am at AL Gruskin. We have retired the at Great Shot Pod moniker. It's at AL Gruskin moving forward. I'll explain the origins of that username moving forward as well. But again, if that's where you go for the more immediate updates to our social media channels, of course, a shout out as always to our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff for the Of an any job they do day in, day out. A shout out as well to our friends at Tennis Point. Remember, tennis-point.com for all the latest and greatest equipment out there on the tennis market. With all of that said, for our fantastic guest, Gil Gross, our super producer, Fligners, and Westoff, and our friends at Tennis Point, and all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say, that's the break, and we'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.